Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Glad you're here today. Guys, remember, if you forgot to get flowers, the floor shop is open next door. You know, you can just, honey, I'm going to go get some coffee real quick and come back with flowers. It'd be great. Be sure to tell them I sent you. Uh, well, it is Valentine's Day, and we like to give gifts, and uh, we're, we're talking about gifts. In fact, I, I was thinking a little bit about gifts this week and some of the weird gifts that sometimes we get from people. Um, I personally like a Starbucks gift card, a, a, a gift card to squeeze and grind in Camus is always really good. Uh, a true story, actually, one time the, um, the credit card company called my house and asked my wife, they said, your husband has all these charges for a place called uh, the squeeze and grind in Camus. They really did that. Just really love my credit card company. Anyway, she's like, well, it's a coffee place. Don't worry about it. But uh, Starbucks, Squeeze and Grind, iTunes, those are always gift cards I appreciate. But then uh, sometimes you get gifts that you're just like, you know, where did that, where did that come from? I actually got a gift this week that makes sense. Somebody actually had me a bumper sticker made that says, sorry I cut you off. I'm a Christian, but I drive like an agnostic. So... That's a cool gift. Here's a gift I got for my birthday. Uh, somebody went down. Is Sue here today? I don't, I don't think Sue Smith is here today. She made me, yeah, she made me this pillowcase. <laughs> it's, uh, she only made it for me because it has mushrooms. And she knows I'm like just really kind of freaked out by mushrooms. Because mushrooms are basically fungus. And I don't eat fungus. I don't put my head on anything that even represents fungus. I might wash my car with something that looks like fungus. But I, I don't know. Don't tell her. Here's another gift I got I thought was really weird. So at the beginning of the series, you might remember, I was talking about how um, we think about emotions as coming from the heart. But back in uh, the days when the book of Ephesians was written, uh, the Greeks thought of emotions as coming from the bowels. And so I said how that would like change a lot of love songs today. I made the comment, you'd have to sing I Left My Bowels in San Francisco. And then I found this on my desk the next day. It's a San Francisco mug. And somebody left a card in that says, so what if I left my bowels in San Francisco? And it has this like green candy, I guess, which I'm not eating. I, won't, I don't even want to touch. I'm like, if you want to come eat some of this, but you're talking about bowels and stuff, I'm just not, not going to eat it. And then, uh, and then somebody gave me a, a gift the other day. Um, I'm looking to see if he was, so I know who did this. He thought he was really, he thought he was really sneaky. So this guy drives in the parking lot a couple of weeks ago, and the secretary is uh, coming into the building, and so he doesn't even have the courage to bring this to me himself, face to face. He says, could you, rolls down his window, could you please take this to Pastor Bob? And it's a 365-day uh, cat calendar, okay? <laughs> so, <clears throat> it's just, in fact, I wrote, uh, adorable. Could you, I mean, it's a cat drinking water with a turtle. It just, it doesn't get any cuter than that. But it can get freakier than that. Like, <laughs> I was already afraid of clowns. So it's like, I'm not looking forward to uh, Sunday the 11th of July. I'm not going to look at my calendar. See, I think the toilet paper should be sanitary. The fact that cats, and we have a cat in our house. So I went and changed the toilet paper. Uh, that's gross. I, uh, <clears throat> I replaced my uh, toothbrush, and I'll never use our popcorn bowl again. Not ever. So, you know, but I decided I'm going to come up with my own 300, and I'm going to call it 365 ways to walk your, walk your cat. Yeah. It's not an exercise calendar. It's a, recipe, it's a recipe calendar, but um, <clears throat> that's my... That, 
It's all in how you spell it. That's right, that's right. <clears throat> I'll be looking for you on Facebook today. So we started, <clears throat> we started last week talking about uh, chapter 4. I'm like, where are we? Chapter 4 of Ephesians. And we started talking about gifts. And we mentioned last week that everyone is born by God's design with some natural abilities, some, some natural gifts. Uh, some of you were born and just God gave you the, uh, a gift for mathematics, and, or maybe you're artistic or athletic, or maybe you have that supreme gift of being a barista. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, but, uh, but we said that as all of us are born with uh, natural abilities, when we become a Christian, God gives us something that we call spiritual gifts. It's a gift that we receive through the Holy Spirit when we're born again. It's a second set of gifts, if you will. Uh, spiritual gifts are a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians, in such a way that Christ is glorified, and we said the believers are edified. And last week we looked at the, the three main passages we find in Scripture that outline all the gifts for us, which would be Ephesians 4, uh, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. And so we kind of talked through uh, some of these gifts and what they are, and I mentioned last week. These gifts are really just a, a sampling of some of the many, many, many kinds that, I don't know, there could be hundreds or thousands of spiritual gifts that God gives. Uh, these are some samples, though, of what gifts are, what they look like, and how they work. We explain most of these gifts, and Scripture don't come with a definition, so we're kind of guessing a little bit. It's not an exhaustive list, but the Ephesians list that I want to talk about today is a little bit different. Now, most of the time, when people come to Ephesians chapter 4, to this passage, they, they teach about spiritual gifts. And certainly in a general sense, this passage is about spiritual gifts, but it's actually about something a little more focused than that. And so I want to take uh, this morning to talk a little bit about that. Now, in Ephesians 4, again, Paul says this. Now he says, now it was Christ who gave some, and he's going to talk about five giftings here. Christ who gave some uh, who have the gift of apostleship, um, some to be prophets, the gift of prophecy, the gift of evangelism, some to be pastors and teachers, for the equipping of God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So we said last week that every gift that people receive is to build up other believers. And that's true. But in this passage, it lists five gifts that are a little bit different. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to describe, but you might think of it this way. Every gift that's given, for the most part, is given as we minister to each other individually. But God says there are five gifts, and he lists them here in this passage. They actually have a little bit of a different twist, if, uh, if you will. These gifts were given to equip people to use their gifts. So everyone has a gift, but God has gifted some people to help everyone else discover and use their gift. So sometimes we call, them these, uh, we call these the equipping gifts. Sometimes you'll hear them called the uh, leadership gifts. I like the equipping gifts myself. And he says there's five gifts. And the purpose of those is to equip everyone else to be able to use their, their gifting. And so, again, by review, we talked about this last week, but he lists five of them. The, the apostles, the first one, and an apostle's one, simply who was sent on a mission. In this case, people who had uh, the authority uh, to represent Christ in the world. Now, Jesus had many disciples, but he, he picked a few men to be his apostles. Uh, to be an apostle, you had to be personally chosen by Jesus, and you had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. And the basic purpose of an apostle was to establish the, the church on the earth. 
Now, much like the apostles, and you often found them together, were the prophets. Now, we said last week, when you think of prophets, you think of people who hear the word of God, and, and then uh, they go tell the future to people. And there are times when that is what a prophet does. In fact, and I, I wish I could have put this in your notes this morning, but I just ran out of space. Uh, you might note there are really two kinds of prophets. There are serving prophets, which we find in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, and then there are equipping prophets, not to be too confusing, but the prophets we talked about last week are, are people that existed in, in local churches, and God would sometimes give them uh, supernatural uh, knowledge or wisdom about a situation or something going on in the church, and they would speak on God's behalf in a local church. But the prophets here that he's talking about in Ephesians are more of what we might think about as, as kind of global prophets. Their job was to help establish the, the church worldwide. And so they worked hand in hand with the apostles. And most of the time when they received revelation from God, it was to help establish the word of God. In fact, we can take the apostles and the prophets and we can kind of lump them together and say that between the two of them, they had three basic responsibilities in the early church. The first was to lay the foundation of the church. So the church didn't exist up to this time, but now Christ wants to found his church. And in Ephesians 2.20, we talked about this a few months ago, it says, uh, Paul says, we are his house, we're the family of God, the church of God, and we're built on the foundation, notice, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So the apostles and the prophets were the ones who began to travel around, share the gospel, lead people to Christ, and then organize them into local congregations, choose leaders, train them, set up practices and guidelines for ministry, and begin through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to begin to record. In fact, that's the second basic responsibility, to receive and declare and record divine revelation. Because remember, up to this point, there's no New Testament. Where's the New Testament coming from? From people who are being led by the Holy Spirit to begin to write this stuff down. That was one of the major jobs of the apostles and the prophets. In fact, we talked in chapter 3 about how God had revealed a mystery of, of the grace of Christ to the apostles and the prophets who began to write this down and to teach it to the church, something that people beforehand hadn't known. He said, in fact, in chapter 3, he says, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight, Paul's saying, into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations, but has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to his holy apostles and prophets. So apostles and prophets laid the foundation of the church. They received and declared divine revelation, and then God would confirm that revelation through them. So for instance, an apostle, a prophet could say, well, here's a word from God. People would be, you know, they'd think, well, how can I know if that's from God? Well, God would give them the, the ability to work miracles and wonders and signs so people would be like, oh, okay, well, if a guy can work a miracle like that, then I guess that must be coming from God. Now, their ministry, I believe, as I read Scripture, was a ministry that they successfully completed. They, in fact, did found the earth. Or the earth. They, they, the church. Thank you. I think a little bit bigger today. But we still benefit from their equipping today because every time we open the New Testament, we're benefiting from the equipping work that they did. Every time the church gathers together, we're benefiting from the, the practices and the procedures and the understanding of what it means to be a church. But I believe there, there came a time when for these apostles and these equipping prophets, their ministry was done. And in fact, when you read through the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 4 is the last time you've ever seen an apostle mentioned. We still benefit from them today, but, but the baton of ministry of equipping, I believe, was handed off to three other gifted groups of people. 
And he lists them this way. He says, some were given as evangelists. Now, evangelists are supernaturally gifted to lead other people to Christ. Now, all of us are called to share the gospel, but these people are gifted, and they equip the church. Now, when you think about it, the evangelists equip the church. They equip people to use their spiritual gifts in, in several interesting ways. And one of the things I thought about this week was I thought, you know, I've never really thought of an evangelist as being one who equips believers to use their gifts. And yet, when you think about it, they really do. For instance, evangelists have the supernatural ability to lead people to Christ. Now, think about it. Every time they lead someone to Christ, that person receives the Holy Spirit. And when they receive the Holy Spirit, they receive a spiritual gift. And then they join a local church. And now that church has a new gifting that it never had before. And that church is being equipped to build itself up. It's one of the ways they equip the church. The other way they equip the church is they help those of us who are non-evangelists. They encourage us to think about non-believers. They encourage us to pray. They love to train us. They love to go with us. They love it when we call them and say, I need to go share Christ with someone. Will you come with me? Or I need to go to the hospital and talk with someone. Will you come with me? Evangelists love it. They love to be around us. They love to bug us. They love to, you know, are you praying? Are you thinking? Are you connecting with people? We need that because part of the great commission that Christ gave us was to be sharing the gospel with people around us. Now, gifted evangelists are found everywhere. Uh, oftentimes, uh, evangelists will become career missionaries because that, that, that's one of the great ways that they can go out and share the gospel. You'll often find evangelists on church staffs. But you'll also just find church evangelists, you know, sitting in the pew, working where you work. Uh, when I was at the first church I ever worked at, I worked with a guy whose, whose grandfather had uh, kept a journal he worked in a factory back east, and in this journal, he recorded how every day for 21 years, he led someone to Christ. Every day for 21 years. It's a lot of people. Didn't work in a church, wasn't a missionary, but he had the gift of evangelism. And you find those people all around, and we need evangelists in the church today. We need them to equip us and to build up the, the, the church. We have an evangelist in our midst. Pastor Ken has the tremendous gift of evangelism. And one of the great things is when you're around a person who has that gift, they don't have to try to, to stimulate evangelism in you. You just, whenever you're with them, they're just talking about it and they're thinking about it. And it, it's good for you to be around people who are evangelists. Evangelists help equip us to, to use our gifts. Here's a, another gift, though, that Paul mentions in this passage, um, and that's pastors. Now, this, this word in the Greek, poimen, is the word that we usually translate as shepherd. In fact, every other place in the New Testament where this word appears, it's translated as shepherd, except here where it's translated as pastor. And I wish that it had been translated as shepherd because a lot of times when we hear the word pastor, we think of somebody who has the job. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who have the God-given ability to lead and care for other people. People love to guide and protect and feed God's people. Of course, our ultimate example of a shepherd is Jesus Christ himself. One of my favorite passages is in, in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is in a particularly busy time of, of ministry, and he needs to take his boys and go away on a retreat. You might remember that story. So they get in a boat, and they go across the lake. And when they get across the lake, they think they're going to have a retreat. But there's thousands and thousands of people waiting for him. Now, most of us would probably be discouraged by that, but not Jesus. Because Jesus is the consummate shepherd. It says, when he went ashore and he saw this large crowd, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. And Jesus is the great shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. That's what shepherds do. When they see people, when they see needs, they just want to meet those needs. Shepherds want to come alongside of people and encourage them. Shepherds are people who are full of compassion. And they love to counsel people, help people through decision making and and dealing with problems. And here's the big thing that shepherds do. They want to help you use and develop your spiritual gift. That's really what it all comes down to. They want you to find your part in God's family. And so Paul says here that here's some equippers God's given us. Uh, Evangelists and and shepherds. And the third one, the last one he he mentions here is uh, the gift of teaching. Teaching is just being gifted to be able to teach God's word, to, to bring it to life, to be able to explain it clearly, and to help people understand and apply it to their own lives. And teachers equip us with God's word to follow Christ in every part of our life. Teachers have the ability to explain things to us so that we can follow Christ when it comes to decision making and our time and our relationships and our finances and all that. The bottom line, though, is that teachers want to help us understand how to live like Jesus Christ. And when you live like Jesus Christ, what's going to be the word that really kind of defines you? Well, that would be the word servant, because that describes Jesus Christ. So what what teachers are doing is they're helping you become like Christ and use your gifts to serve other people. Now, again, as I already mentioned, as we think about these three gifts, about evangelists and pastors and teachers that have been given to the church to equip the rest of us to use our gifts, a few things I would mention is, first of all, don't confuse the gift with the office. So, for instance, it might be, it might be easy, to, easy to think that, well, all pastors have a pastor position in the church. But, in fact, that's not the case. There's lots of people who have the title of pastor who don't have the gift of pastor. It's a little, a little confusing, maybe even a little regrettable at times. On the other hand, most of the pastors that you will find who have the gift of shepherding don't work on a church staff. In fact, you would, I would venture to say most of the pastors in our church that you're going to find are grow group leaders because that's where a lot of pastoring happens in this church. So don't confuse the title with the gift. And the other thing you need to realize is that we all need these gifts at all times. So these are three giftings that God has given every one of us to help us, to, to equip us. Now, What's the purpose? What are they trying to equip us for? Let me read for you the rest of this passage and see if you can pick up some of the ways that they equip us to use our gifts. Here's what Paul says as he's explaining it. Now, with some that God gave to be apostles and some who he gave to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then, he says, we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. As I read that passage, I see a couple of very specific ways that pastors and evangelists and teachers help us grow. And one of those is, they help us learn how to serve in the church. They help us learn how to serve and to use our gifts. In fact, in verse 12, that's kind of what he's saying here. Why has God give, given equip, equipping people to the church? He says, for the equipping of God's people, for notice, works of service. 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, he says, God wants every believer to use their gift, but he knows that we need some help with that. So he's gifted some people to be able to train and, and equip other people to use their gifts. Now this is important because as I think about the church, I'm thinking about Gateway this week, and I, I thought about how God has brought us so many opportunities to serve people. And while that's true, as I thought about it this week, I realized that actually God brings us a lot more opportunities to serve people than I, I had really thought about before. In fact, the conclusion I came to was every time someone walks through the doors of this church, they have a need that needs to be met. And that includes you, and that includes me. Because none of us are perfect. None of us have reached, you know, the, the uh, complete Christ-likeness yet. So we all have needs. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be built up. Every person who walks through this door needs something. Now, when I think about it in those terms, it can feel a little overwhelming, you know? Uh, when I'm sitting in my office and, and I'm trying to answer all the email and return all the calls and figure out how to get together with people, there are times when I feel like, wow, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Because in reality, if I could find time, if the staff could find time to be with every person in this church every week, that still wouldn't be enough because we all have needs. So how do all those needs get met? The needs for teaching and love and fellowship, the needs for, to, to be prayed for and emotional support and financial help and all of that. Well, the answer, of course, is that you're going to have to do it. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying a church doesn't hire a pastor to do the work for them. Churches hire pastors to equip the church to meet needs. That's why we hire them. That's why we have evangelists. And that's why we have teachers to equip God's people to meet the needs. How do they do that? Well, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's not really rocket science, but when it comes to helping people get involved in using their gifts, there's just a couple things. First of all, we need people to help us discover our gift. It, that's kind of obvious, but it's important. We need people to help us, and I talked last week about some of the different ways that we do that here at Gateway. It, we're trying to do that this weekend and last weekend just by talking about spiritual gifts. And hopefully some of you, and I had a few people walk out last night going, you know, this is kind of what I needed to take the next step. Now I'm convinced I didn't need to get, you know, involved in using my gift. That's a great thing. That's why we talk about it. We have, uh, we have a, something I talked about last week called a shape inventory. It's just an inventory that kind of helps maybe narrow down what your gift might be and, and how to get you started on that. That's what pastors are here to, to pray for you, to support you in discovering your gift, to, to observe you. Equippers are meant to be catalysts to get you thinking about your gift, to help you discover your gift. And then equippers are here to show you how to do it. So when I think about Jesus, Jesus didn't just pick 12 disciples and say, now I want you guys to go, you know, teach and I want you to minister to people. It says Jesus showed them how to do it first. In fact, in John 13, he said, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. So Jesus said, let me show you how to teach people and, and let me show you how to have compassion for people. And he, he gave them the example and then Jesus sent them out to do it. And again, that's what equippers do in the church. Once they help you discover your gift, once they show you how to do it, then they send you out. They find a place for you to use your gift. And then lastly, they're, they're here, we're here, to give you support as you do it. So one of the things I like to encourage you to do is if you're, if you're involved in using your gift in the church and you feel like you're floundering a little bit, I just want to give you an invitation that you should never hesitate to go up to a, a staff member or an equipper in the church and say, I really need you to be praying for me 
and, and, and hold us accountable to praying for you. That's part of what we're here for, to pray for you, to support you. You may come up and say, I need some encouragement from you this week. I'm leading a grow group, I'm leading a Bible study, and I need a little help. That's, that's what we're here for. We're here to equip you to do your ministry. You should never hesitate to ask for feedback and for training and for input. In verse 16, it tells us this. From him, that is from Christ, the whole body, he's talking about the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Again, he's talking about different parts of the body. That's us. It says it grows and it builds itself up in love. Notice as each, each part, every part, does its work. So your part is to use your gifts to serve and support each other. And for those of us who have the equipping gifts, our job is to serve by equipping you. And I'll just tell you that God has, has placed some equippers in this church, and, and you should never hesitate to go to them for help. Pastor Ken is here as a person who's here to help equip you. And I know that he would be more than, uh, he would love to do that. Pastor Matthias is here to equip you and support you. Um, Pastor Bill is here to encourage and support you. Feel free to call him <clears throat> anytime you want. Email him and ask him for help. That's what David's here for. That's what Lee is here for. That's what Jackie is here for. That's what we're here for. We're here to support you, to get you involved in using your gift and serving. That's one of the reasons that God has given equippers to the church. But as we read that passage, there's a second thing that came out, and that is that God wants to use equippers to help us grow deeper. In fact, he puts it this way in verse 13. Interesting phrase, he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, that's kind of an interesting phrase uh, that we'd really want to break down. He says, until we reach unity in the faith. Now, he's not talking about um, unity uh, and, and faith like, uh, I'm placing my faith in Christ. It's not what he's talking about. The word faith here basically means, it, it means the content of what we believe, not the act of belief but the content of what we believe. Yeah, think of like a doctrinal statement. That's kind of what he's talking about. What is the content of your belief? Uh, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus and salvation? What do you believe is true and, and not true? In fact, he, he uses two phrases here. He says, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Same thing here. He's saying, what do you know about Jesus? How well do you really know about Jesus. How well do you know his words? How much have you studied them? How many of them have you memorized? How well do you understand the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth? How, how much have you studied and understand his character? How about his sacrifice? See, here's a strange thing in the church today. I find more and more there, there are people who love to call themselves Christ followers, but they barely know anything about him. People will say things like, well, I don't, I, you know, let's not get into doctrine and, and, and studying doctrine and all that kind of stuff. I just want to go out and be like Jesus. And there's kind of, a, there's kind of an irony there, you know. It, what we're talking about here is doctrine. And doctrine has become kind of a dirty word in the church today, you know. People don't like to talk about it. People don't want to dig out. Uh, yeah, a lot of times I'll hear people say doctrine is the problem with the church today. Because, you know, we fight over doctrinal statements and doctrinal beliefs and all of that stuff. In fact, what Paul says here is doctrine is not the problem in the church. The problem is the diversity of doctrine in the church that is the problem. Why is doctrine so important? Two reasons. First of all, because what I believe, that is, if you will, all of our internal doctrinal statements, what we believe always determines what we do. Always if you've ever wondered, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I don't know where that came from. Scripture is very clear. 
if you will. What we do always reflects what we really honestly believe inside. What we believe impacts the way we treat people. What we really believe, our our internal doctrinal statement, impacts what we do with our money, how we make decisions, the priorities in our life, our sexuality, the words we use, the way we treat people, how we spend our time. It determines all of that. Why is doctrine so important? Because it always dictates the way we live our life. You want to change the things you do, then change what you believe. But here's the second reason, because what we believe impacts the church. It has an impact on the people around us. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I've noticed that there are a lot of Christ followers who have different beliefs about things. Have you noticed that not every Christian agrees on every point of doctrine? Maybe you've noticed that. Like, for instance, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different beliefs within people who claim to be Christ followers about the Bible. Sometimes I talk with people who say they're Christ followers, but they don't believe that the Bible is actually the Word of God. So there's some different beliefs there. That's, that's doctrine. I've noticed there are Christians who have really different views on the Trinity. That's a pretty big thing, on the unity of, of God. I find there are Christians who have really different views on Jesus. I talked to a guy recently who believes that (laughs) he goes to a Christian church, but he said he doesn't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin and he doesn't even think it's important. It's a doctrinal issue. I said, wow, well, I I don't think we probably agree on that. Um, You know, what do you do with that? People have different different beliefs about sin. There are some people today who claim to be Christians who don't believe in sin. There are some people who believe that people are born good. There are Christians today who don't believe in heaven, don't believe in hell, have different views on salvation. There are Christians that have some pretty different views on baptism, you know, and on things like church government. And yet, here's the thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Paul said, here's the problem. There's a lot of different doctrinal statements within Christians, but the truth is there's only one true one. And there is a true doctrinal statement. There is a definition of truth. Here's what Paul says. How are we going to have unity in the church? He says, until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge. In other words, here's what he's saying. Until you know it all, you need to keep studying. Until you know it all, you need to dig down into doctrine. How do we do that? God's given equippers to the church. God's given teachers to the church. God's given pastors to the church. We need to be equipped in the word of God. We need to dig down and understand God, salvation, what's right, what's wrong, grace, Jesus, his words, his life, his commands. As a teacher, this is stuff I love. But I just want to let you know that as a, even as a teacher, as an equipper, I believe that it's important, and I've always believed that it's important for me as a teacher to make sure that I also have equippers in my life. Because just like you, I'm on a journey of discovering truth. And one of the things that's always concerned me is the possibility that I might get up on a weekend and speak something from the word that isn't true. So I have people in my life who are equippers to me. There are people that I go to and I ask questions. I'm, you know, I'm struggling with this passage. A few of the guys are guys that, in fact, I still talk regularly with the guy who was my youth pastor years and years and years ago when I was in high school, like 12 years ago. And I call him all the time and we'll talk. I'll be like, I'm wrestling with this passage. Here's what I think it says. Help me out here, you know. There are theologians that I read. Uh, I have people that I'm accountable to in terms of what I teach because I don't know it all. I need people to help me so that I can pass it along to you. But here's the thing. We all need to be diving into the word of God. In 2 Timothy, it tells us this. All scripture is God-breathed 
And it's useful. Useful for what? For teaching. That's what we're doing right now. For rebuking. That's, that's when people are believing something wrong. For correcting. That's in terms of when we're not living right. For training in righteousness. It's how to live like God. So that the man, the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. Notice for every good work that is every part of life. Every time they use their spiritual gift. So that's part of what God gives us equippers for. To help us learn about God so we can use our gifts correctly. I'd like to make a couple of suggestions here about teachers. First of all, you need to find some teachers in your life, if you haven't already, to, to equip you. And I, part of what I'm saying is, this right here is not enough. I hope this blesses you and I hope it encourages you, but this is more, you need more than this during your week if you're really going to learn from God's word. And here's a, a second suggestion I'd have for you, and that is learn to be an active participant in the teaching process. In other words, maybe you just come to church on the weekend when it's convenient or you don't have anything else going on. If, for instance, you come to our 21-week series on Ephesians and you're only here half the time, you're just going to really miss what God had for you. I would encourage you to think about making a commitment to teaching in your life. And maybe this would be the place to start, that you would actually make a commitment. I'm going to be there on the weekends because it's important because I need to get the whole counsel of God in my life. I would encourage you to think about being prepared whenever you come to hear the word of God. By prepared, I mean like, you know, just kind of simple stuff like, what time did you get to bed last night, you know? So how awake are you this morning? Some of you, uh, I'm going to try not to look at you. Uh, did, you have, did you have some breakfast today? Are you fueled up? Did you pray before you got here? Because if I were you listening to me, I would have been praying before I came this morning. I'm just saying, you should have been praying for me. You should have been praying for yourself. We talked about that a few weeks back. Paul said, you know, let's pray for the eyes of our heart to be opened. What about questions and discussions? I hope that when you leave here, the sermon isn't done. Because you're just getting started. You know, are you talking about it? Are you applying it to your life? Is there any accountability in your life? One of the practices that I have is I try to make sure that everything I teach in here, I've got two guys in my life that every week I get together with one or the other, we talk about the sermon and we talk about how I'm being accountable. And I hope that you're doing that as well because that's part of what the word is about. Not just knowing it, being accountable for it. So Paul says, here's why God has given equippers to us. They equip us, he says, by helping us know God's word. They equip us by helping us use our gifts. And the last thing he says is, they equip us by helping us to grow up spiritually. So a few weeks ago, I was at the new Target across the river. Anyone been to the new Target across the river where they don't have sales tax? That's not why I go there. It's I, But... It's because they have a snack aisle there that's really, really cool. And so I was there a couple weeks ago, and I was, and I was going down the snack aisle, because they have a great snack aisle there, and uh, if I didn't mention that already. And there was a, I love this, there was this mom with her young son. And, uh, and so I'm watching this thing, so the, son's, the, the son says, Mom, can I have some cookies? Now, I know it sounds like I was close to the cookie aisle, but it, he says, Mom, can I have some cookies? And Mom says, No, no, you can't. And so I watch him. He walks, and mom's over here, and he goes over here, and he gets a little bag of cookies, and he's trying to open them. He's trying to open the cookies. And his mom looks around and says, I said, no, put those cookies back. This is the best part. He turned around, and he said, don't tell me no. Oh, man. See, and mom says, honey, we don't open cookies we haven't paid for. See, we're all born very immature. 
We all want to op- open cookies we haven't paid for. That's, you know, part of learning to grow up. Spiritually speaking, that's what Paul is saying. We're all spiritually born immature. We need people to help us grow up in our faith. Again, in verse 13, he says this. Here's the other reason God's given equippers to the church. To help us become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does it look like to be mature? He says that's when we have the full measure of Christ. What does it mean to have the fullness of Christ? It means to be filled with Christ in some area of our life. To be mature means to have your, that's where your thoughts are filled with Christ. That's pretty mature. That's where your actions are filled with Jesus Christ. Where your decisions, where your relationships, where your words are filled with Christ. That's the definition of maturity for us. What he says here is we need equippers to show us how to live like Jesus. Now that's not always easy, so God brings equippers in our life who can give us an example. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He said, Paul just said, I've spent a lot of time being ministered to by Jesus, so Paul says, I'm going to follow that example, and and then you can look at me, and together we'll become mature. That's part of what this is all about. God gives teachers to the church to help us understand the life of, of Christ, to understand the example of Christ, so we can be like that, so we can grow up. God gives shepherds to the church because they love to walk alongside us and help us make decisions and follow Jesus in our everyday life. God gives evangelists to the church to help remind us about the Great Commission and part of what Jesus was here for, to seek and to save the lost. In fact, in verse 14, Paul kind of gives us, here's the opposite of Christian maturity. He says, then we will no longer be, notice, we won't be infants. He's talking spiritually here. What do infants look like? Well, they're tossed back and forth by the waves. They're blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the trickery and the craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. In fact, he uses a couple of interesting words here. He, he uses the word trickery. He says immature people are easily tricked. And that word trickery comes from the Greek word kubia in the Greek, which we get the word cube or dice from. And back then they used to make little dice and they'd load the dice and they'd be out on street corners and, you know, suckers would come by and they'd be like, hey, you want to place a bet? And these guys would fall for it every time. Paul says there's people in the church like that who want to take advantage of you. The word craftiness means to manipulate a lie, to look like the truth. And the word scheming is used in chapter 6 to refer to the schemes of the devil. Here's what he's saying. Immature people are easily tossed around. Every new teaching that comes along, oh, they believe that. Every new book that comes out, well, you know, it, it was in the Christian bookstore, so it must be true. Every new fad in the church, every, you know, <laughs> everyone they see on TV in the name of Christ, they think must automatically be speaking the truth and they fall for it. Every Christian celebrity, every new idea of what the church is about. Paul says we need to grow up and stop being tossed around by people and we need to learn to be controlled by Christ himself. And in fact, he gives us, he says, here's, here's a great way to get there. Watch this. He says, speaking the truth in love. Now I like this because when we think about speaking the truth in love, of course, that's something we should all do. But here's what Paul's talking about in the context of this passage. Paul's saying what you need are, you need people who will do that for you. That's what you need. You need people who will speak the truth in love, who will speak the truth to you, about you. Now, most of us train people around us to not do that. 
Most of us learn to punish people when they speak the truth that we don't like. And it's very easy for us if we're not careful to create a world where no one will tell us what we really need to hear. Paul says instead, you need to invite people to do that. That's what you need equippers for. Because equippers can kind of be like that sometimes. They'll just tell you the truth. I had a guy walk out of the service last night, and this is, what he, this is how he summed up the sermon in this part. He said, he said, Pastor, I think what you're telling me is if, if my life was a party, I need to invite those people to my party, right? And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. God says you need to invite those people, the people who will speak truth. What does that mean? It means people whose words will reflect the truth of God, people who will tell me when I'm doing it good, people who will tell me when I'm doing it wrong, People will tell me when I'm making a bad decision. People will tell me when I'm being a jerk. People who can tell me that. People, and and most of the time, we're going to have to invite those people to do that. Because like I said, we train most people not to do it. But not just to tell us the truth, to tell it to us in love. What does that mean? It means that they value us like God values us. It means that they're not looking to judge us. They're not looking to hurt us. But they love us, and they know we need to hear the truth. So they speak the truth in love to us. In fact, the Bible says the people you need to be aware of are not the people who speak the truth in love. It's the people who don't. And in Proverbs 27, it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. He's just saying the enemy is the one who tells you what you want to hear. The true friend is the one who tells you what you need to hear. And that's part of the reason God gives equippers to the church. Now, we can all speak the truth in love, but in the context, he's saying, God has given us equippers, and that's part of what we need them for. They help us by speaking the truth in love. Paul's saying, don't run away from them. Don't blacklist them from your party. Invite them to your party. Let them know that you need them to be at your party, that you need the truth from them. Find the equippers that God has placed around you. I would ask you this question today. Who are the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers that God has placed in your life right now? Who are they? Who has God placed around you who can equip you to use your gifts to serve God? People who can push you out there and get you involved in ministry. People who can teach you from God's word. People who love you enough to tell you the truth, to tell you what you need to hear. People who will challenge you in your areas of immaturity and who will encourage you to reach out to unbelievers. Where do you need an equipper in your life right now? Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a shepherd. Maybe it's an evangelist. I'm hoping that God's spirit has been speaking to you this morning, but Paul's just saying this. God has given us some gifted people, and we need them. And not not just sitting back and hoping they'll come around, but inviting them into our life. Walking up to a shepherd, walking up to a teacher today, walking up to evangelists and saying, I need you in my life. I want to invite you to speak truth to me. That's what we need. We thank God for the equippers. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the fact that, you know, you haven't just given us gifts and just said, go do it. Go out there and love people. Go out there and serve people. Father God, you sent your son to show us how. How to love, how to teach, how to give, how to serve, how to have compassion. Jesus modeled all of that for us. But Father, I also thank you that you've given the church gifted people to equip us. Father, I just, even this week, have just been so grateful 
when I think about teachers, I think about people like Tom that you've used in my life. He changed my life through, through the teaching, through the exposition of your word. I thank you for how you've used people like Tom to change my life, to equip me for ministry. And I think about evangelists that you've used. And I think about, about Don and how he left this impression on my life, how, he, how he's equipped me through his gift of evangelism. Father God, when I think about shepherds, I think about guys like Frank, people who came along next aside me, people who put their arms around me, who helped me make decisions, who helped me discover my gifts. Father, if it hadn't been for those equippers, I don't know where I would be today, but I don't think I would be here. You use them to equip me, to challenge me, to push me out. And it's, it's changed my life. And I thank you for those guys, for Tom, for Frank, for Don. Father, I pray you continue to bless them in their ministry. But I would pray for all of us today, Father. We need those, we need those equippers. We need those teachers. We need those shepherds. We need those evangelists. We need them to equip us because you've given every one of us a job to do, a work to do in the church. And we want to be faithful in that. And so, Father, I pray that you might even show us today, this week, what could we do to make a better connection with the equippers around us? Is there something we could say? Maybe we just need to invite them to be speaking truth into our lives. Maybe one of them live in the house with us or maybe we work with them. Are they're in a small group with us. Maybe the, the real shepherd in our life right now is the, the leader in our grow group. We just need to have a better connection to tell them we appreciate them. To engage with the ministry they have in our lives. To allow them to equip us. To build us and to prepare us for ministry. Father, I thank you for the equippers. They have blessed my life tremendously. I pray for all of us that that will be true. Thank you for their gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.